go. What is up? We're back. Another Tuesday's Football Life presents the Audible. I'm your host, Randy Hammond. Joined by the man who watches more tape than anyone. I know he's super excited that we are just we are less than three weeks before the football season now. Matt Bushnell, all the way out in Arizona. Just how hot is it all the way out there in Arizona today, Matt? I mean, I'm not going to lie, Randy. It's kind of hot outside. I mean, looking out my window, I see bird carcasses and, you know, those little lizards that crawl across there. I mean, it is scorched earth out here. You might as well live in an entirely different continent than I do. Uh, <laughs> that just feels like something I never have to experience up here in uh, upstate New York. Um, but we have a great show for you planned today. We have uh, some NFL news to get to, a couple safeties in the news. Um, we have, you know, unf- unfortunate news regarding some, some a coach in the NFL and some, obviously our COVID segment of the week, which is going to be a regularity here in 2020. Uh, and then we're going to recap episode two of Hard Knocks. And then we're going to talk a little fantasy football. So if you guys love fantasy football as much as I do and as much as Matt does and you're going to stick around, uh, we're going to give you a little something-something at the end of the show for you there. Uh, but we're going to kick off the show here um, with a safety getting paid. And, Matt, you remember that episode of The Office where Michael Scott starts off the, the show where he goes up to Pam and he goes, hey, Pam, knock, knock. And she says, who's there? And he goes, Buddha. And she goes, Buddha who? And he says, Buddha this bread for me. Well, I don't want to be the guy who makes the connection here, but Buddha got some bread here because Buddha Baker, safety of the Arizona Cardinals, got insanely paid. Uh, let me just look at the numbers. It is he's the highest paid safety in NFL history, which is kind of crazy to me. It's a four-year, fifty-nine million dollar extension. You know, give me your your quick thoughts on Buddha Baker's contract here. You know, when I watched all the tape and, and I, I look at the safeties in the NFL. I, one, I was surprised at Buda Baker. This is his third year. So it's about that contract time anyway. Um, one of the few Steve Kime picks that may have hit, but he never really jumped out on film to me, which is not always a bad thing. You know, just because a guy doesn't jump out on film doesn't mean that he's not doing his job. Might be the quite opposite there. But $59 million for Buda Baker, to me, that feels like a lot of money, Randy. And I took a look at some of his advanced numbers thanks to our friends at Pro Football Reference. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm going to pay a safety that much, what does he do? Like, is it Jamal Adams-esque, or is it more like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't want to say Ed Reed because that's not fair, but let's go Eddie Jackson because Eddie Jackson's more of that center fielder type of safety. So Buda Baker, in two seasons that they started keeping track of this advanced defense, 2018, he allowed a 77.5 completion percentage, which is not not good. Not good at all for a defensive back. And then in 2019, you saw him get a little bit better, only allowing a 72.7% completion percentage. So you take a look at that, and you're like, okay, maybe the quarterbacks just complete a high number of passes. Mm-hmm. He's, allow- he's allowing 9.3 yards completion in 18, and then it went up to 12.7 yards per completion last year. Two touchdowns he allowed in 2018 to four in 2019. The quarterback ratings are high at 106.2 and then 125.3 for last year. But the one thing about Buda Baker that I took a look at, I was like, okay, let me take a look at the tackles. He doesn't miss a lot of tackles. No. Um, in 2018, he only missed 10, and in 2019, he missed 11. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those situations where I think they're paying a 
monster safety, which is basically a combo between a safety and a linebacker. So I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with Buda as my center fielder. He's not mm -hmm. as good as Jamal Adams. So if anything, this is going to make Jamal Adams a very rich man. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, the tackles are interesting because he did move from strong safety to free safety last year. Uh, so that's a bit of an adjustment for him. But his tackles also went up in that situation. He has he had over 100 tackles last year alone. Um, and he uh, adapted the Honey Badgers number with the Cardinals, which I think is interesting. That might be a status symbol for him with Arizona, um, which, which leads me to my question is, you know, where does he rank among safeties in the NFL? Because there are two safety positions. There's a free safety position and there's a strong safety position. The free safety typically does more in coverage, where the strong safety will be more in the box, um, will have more blitzes, and is typically the better tackler. Um, so when you separate the two safety positions, you know, you have the categories, you have the Minka Fitzpatrick's of the world and you have the Tyron Matthews of the world. And then with the strong safeties, I think it's more broad. I think you have the Jamal Adams. I think you have Landon Collins. You, you, you were talking about Eddie Jackson earlier, who I think would be more of a free safety. Yep. Um, you would know more than I do. I would there. Um, but to me, Buda Baker kind of fits in that Landon Collins aspect to me where he is a box safety more so than a cover guy. So to me, if you, if you combine both safety positions, he's definitely top 10, but I'm not sure he's even a top five safety right now. Yeah, when I take a look at the landscape, and th this is something that we noticed last year, especially as Bears fans, they transitioned Eddie Jackson over to strong safety last year to make room for HaHa -Ha Clinton Dix. And while Eddie Jackson did the best he could, you noticed in the middle of the coverage they suffered and Eddie Jackson's turnover suffered. So this year they moved Eddie Jackson back to free safety. So they also paid him, you know, for his service very well. Mm -hmm. But when we come to tiers of safety, yeah, I think Jamal Adams is in that upper echelon. Um, I, I definitely agree with the Landon Collins comp. I, I think that's where he definitely fits. Not a top five safety, but it's just one of those things. I don't know where his progression's at. He, I mean, he's gotten better every year. Is it a significant jump? I, I don't know. I mean, $59 million is a lot of money. So they committed to him long-term. So I, they, not top they're, five. They're relying on him big time in the back end of that secondary with Pat Pete, who is old now. Um, but he's still, you know, really good corner for to his credit. Um, but you have you have athletic players in that defense. I want to see what Isaiah Simmons does coming in as a rookie. Uh, obviously, I put Chandler Jones in my top ten players list, and he's obviously a stud. Uh, I love their front seven. So um, Buda Baker, I, yeah, he does make their team better for sure. And I'm not saying he's not a great player. He's a top ten player at his position, but it's a lot of money for a guy who might not even be an All Pro. So uh, we'll see <laughs> what happens with the Cardinals there. Um, in Arizona with uh, Buda Baker. Um, so that's an overpay if you ask me. A guy with a, who was a former All-Pro and the staple of the Legion of Boom who has been one of the best safeties in the last decade is now on the market, and it's not for good reasons. But uh, Earl Thomas has been released by the Baltimore Ravens, um, and you know he was the prize free agent signing from last year. He had a lot of issues with the team. Uh, we had talked about a couple months ago how he – was in a domestic situation uh, in, Dal in, in in Texas. I forgot exactly the situation, but it was an Airbnb with his a mistress type thing with his brother. It was a whole weird thing. Um, and then now last week he got into a fight with one of the more beloved players on the team. Uh, I believe it was the other safety, uh, Chuck Clark. Um, and then the players came to the GM and said, hey, he's not showing up to meetings. He's showing up late. He's not interested in being a part of the group. He, you know, 
didn't, it doesn't seem like he was being Earl Thomas. It didn't seem like he was all that invested in what was going on here, which is sad because Earl Thomas at his peak was one of the best players on defense in the entire sport. Um, you know, this whole situation just kind of seems sad to me. Uh, what do you make of this right now uh, with Earl Thomas? I, I was shocked to hear the news. It's just, it reeks of brain damage, you know, like a guy who was a model citizen in Seattle, like did everything by the books. Obviously he carried a lot of emotion when they didn't extend him and he broke his leg and he gave, you know, old cowardly Pete, the middle finger to tell him he's number one. Mm-hmm. But man, you talk about with the wife scenario with the mistress and all this situation, you're fighting with a team leader was very popular i just I, I will be surprised if he gets picked up i, I know there will be teams out there that will do it i don't think they are good teams that would take this risk because i just don't know where he fits in right now uh, dallas is always a name that pops up but really mm-hmm. do you want that much baggage do, do you want to deal with that because obviously there is something wrong with earl thomas and he needs to get help before you know, his life really starts to spiral out of control. Mm-hmm. Some of the the words being used to describe Thomas's behavior by uh, GM Eric DaCosta um, was his attitude was abrasive. Uh, he was tardy. He was churlishness. Uh, and, he, and obviously he caused issues by getting into a fight. So like those things are, you know, attitude problems. Maybe he's in a, a part of his life where he you know, is in a rut mentally. Maybe it's best for him not to sign with a team right away if he's going to act like this, regardless of the situation, because Baltimore is as bad of a good a situation as you're going to get in the NFL. And if you can't make that work, I question how it's going to go with another team. Um, you brought up Dallas, which is interesting because he's always been the guy who wanted to go to Dallas. He had a game in, with, with Seattle years ago where he told Jerry Jones, come get me, come get me. I'm pretty sure he's a, a Texas guy. So he uh, was rumored to go sign with the Cowboys. But then Ian Rappaport of NFL Network this morning uh, reported that um, the Cowboys were out on Earl Thomas. They were not going to sign him. And then Jerry Jones, less than an hour later, decides to come out and says, you're not, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. We never said such a thing. So part of me wants to think that this is a very Cowboys-type move here, like they're going to end up pulling the trigger here. But if it's not Dallas, I don't know who else is going to give him a chance. To me, it just seems like such a terrible fit to – with the type of team you have this team is mentally fragile in a lot of aspects you bring this guy in being late to meetings you know not respecting other players and teammates it's it it is a recipe for disaster and I know Giants fans and Eagle fans and I would say, say the Washington Football Club but I just don't think they're good enough to even imagine that they could compete in this division but I mean, it's crazy because you see things line up. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the Giants. I think the Giants have their own issues. But it could be a scenario where you just add this time bomb into that team. And depending on how chemistry works out in this type of situation with COVID, like we've talked about, it's so unprecedented. It wouldn't be a shock to see the Cowboys finish in third, Randy. I mean, I if you told me the Cowboys would finish in third and the Giants would finish in second, I, I would tell you, okay, the Cowboys must be three and thirteen or two and fourteen then. <laughs> but, um, it's just going to be weird. It just feels so weird. I would not add any locker room headaches in this season. I don't think it's worth it. It's not the year to take that chance. Yeah, 
Uh, I think that the Cowboys are too talented offensively uh, for them to finish anything less than second at this point. But uh, it would fit in with their their trend of signing, you know, defensive players past the prime uh, and hoping for the best here, which we've talked about their defensive line uh, and their patchwork uh, pass rush they have put together. So uh, Earl Thomas passed his prime for sure, but, you know, I think he could still be an effective player. He did have a really, I think, pretty poor year, all things considered, with the Ravens last year. Uh, if I was any team, like you said, this whole year you need someone who's going to be all in, all, all, be willing to adapt to all the changes and all the rules. And obviously Earl Thomas is not doing that right now. So uh, if he's not all there, maybe don't sign him right now. And if he has proven that he has changed a little bit, maybe you sign him during the year. If not, you know, let him get his mind right and get ready for 2021. Uh, I, I'm sure any team would be happy to take him on then. It's probably not going to cost all that much after a year out of football. So if you ask me, it's Cowboys or bust for, for 2020 for Earl Thomas. Um, but another team in the NFC East, the Washington football team, had some somber news uh, last week with uh, head coach Ron Rivera saying that he has cancer. He has uh, been diagnosed with uh, with a lymph node. Um, and they caught this very early. And they said it's very treatable and curable, thank goodness, because uh, obviously it could have been way worse. But it's, it's incredible how a, a regular checkup can find this sort of thing. Uh, the interesting thing to me is that he does still plan on coaching and they said that doctors encourage him to do so, um, which tells me that this isn't as serious as maybe as it comes off. But regardless, this is a, a serious situation when your head coach has, has, has a early form of cancer. So, um, you know, all I can say is prayers for Ron Rivera. Yeah. I've met Ron Rivera a few times, you know, a handful of times and you talk about a man's man and just a really good human being, you know, something that, this world seems to be lacking in an abundance sometimes. So you, it shouldn't happen to guys like Ron Rivera. You know, even this mild of a cancer, which, I mean, cancer is never mild. But right. like, one of the really good humans on this planet, and he gets cancer, and it leaves you asking why. Why do good people go through this? But I think... If anything, Ron Rivera is a type of man that will show courage, perseverance. Um, he, he's, just, he's just a really stand-up individual. He'll take his time to explain things to you. Every time I've met him and I've talked with him briefly, he has been one of the most courteous, polite human beings you could ever meet. Like he, I met him when he was still playing the linebacker for the Chicago Bears way back when I was just a little tyke. So... You know, you just talk about an individual who just would never think you're above, he's above anybody else. And then again, when he was defensive coordinator for the Bears, I met him again at that time. Still the same type of person would come do speaking engagements at schools. So my prayers and my thoughts are definitely with Ron Rivera and his family. I have the most confidence that he's going to beat this because that's what Ron Rivera does. I mean, he's just that type of guy. So yeah, thoughts and prayers and well wishes to Ron and his family. You were very well said. Um, you don't wish this on anyone, regardless of uh, how they are as a person. But, you know, it does seem like the good ones are the ones that have to go through this fight. And it doesn't seem fair. Um, but what it is, is it's inspiring. And you know that they're a person like Ron Rivera is tough enough mentally and physically that he will fight this and he will beat this. And I have no doubt about that. Um, the strong ones tend to survive and, what I worry about is that it does seem like it's mild now, but just because it's mild now does not mean it can't develop into something worse. So uh, obviously we're hoping against that situation, but 
credit to Ron Rivera uh, in this time where everything is so stressful and so different. Uh, I just, I don't blame him for wanting to go out and coach and try to feel some kind of normalcy. And, um, you know, he said he might feel something in three to four weeks, whether it's, you know, being lethargic or tired, like that, that's totally normal. And if you need to, you need help, then get help. And then if you need to sit down for a minute, sit down for a minute. Um, you have people in place to help you out. Um, I'm reading right now that, you know, Jack Del Rio is the team's defensive coordinator. He has been the head coach of a couple other teams. If something were to happen to Ron Rivera and if he needed to take time off, um, you know, I don't think Washington is a team that is in a situation that they're going to compete this year anyway. So, you know, God forbid, you know, Ron Rivera um, has to miss time. And I imagine Jack Del Rio, you know, takes it over for him. But, you know, I'm hoping, you know, Riverboat Ron's on the sideline for Washington and I'm pulling for him in this situation for sure. Um, all right, time to move on to our weekly COVID segment of the week. And honestly, it is uh, quite the week for the coronavirus and the NFL because uh, it came out on Saturday that several camps were postponed or shut down due to 77 positive cases of the coronavirus throughout many different teams. Uh, and then it came out a day later that all 77 of them came back negative and that they were false positives. Uh, and this New Jersey um, uh, place that does this examination of the tests uh, made a mistake. And somehow, literally somehow every single case was negative. I don't know how that happens, but uh, like I want football as far as much as the next guy does, but it seems a little fishy that this worked out in the NFL's favor. <laughs> Yeah, I read the story and it said there was a contamination in the lab. So maybe that's what it was. I mean, it's 77 players, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that they were all negative. But at the same time, it's just like stuff like this just makes you wonder, you know, like mm -hmm. how accurate are the tests? Who's been positive before? Who has it? Who's carrying it? And I think when you have a lack of leadership at the top, the very top of everything, and let's just go straight to the top. It seems like we just get more questions than answers. Everyone's just taking a guess at how to treat this thing and how to test it. So I don't know if, if you have a health condition and it kind of goes back to Ron Rivera here and even guys mm -hmm. that were playing, um, gosh, I can't remember Russell Wilson who just had another child. I, for me, it's just hard to take that risk. You know, if I was playing in the NFL and I have a small child at home, I actually got six, but one small one right now. I don't know if I'd be able to play, Randy. I know it's something that it's in your nature as an athlete to keep on playing, but stuff like this, it has to take you back for, you know, you step back and you're like, whoa, 77. And then all of a sudden it's a false negative. But then you wonder like what you said, are they really false negatives or false positives? So to me, it just impacts so many things. I know the Bears had nine players on this list. So, mm -hmm. like, it was a huge ordeal on Sunday. Like, Nagy was losing – you know, he wasn't losing his mind, but he was like, okay, they start – and the cool thing about the Bears is they have this tracing where they know where everyone's at in the building at, at all times. They have, like, yeah. a GPS tracker on them. So, they'll do their tracing that way. These nine players were traced to almost everybody in the damn building. Like every yeah. player, everyone was in contact with these guys. So mm -hmm. it was like everything would have been impacted. So now you wonder what happens if they really were positive. What would happen to the Bears at that point if it was week one, Randy, where you, your entire team's done at that point? Because then all those guys have to get tested. It, it can take up to a week to be cleared. I mean, it's just I, I don't know how this is going to work out. 
I that's my biggest thing is like what's going to happen on a third Friday when this comes out and there's a bunch of players on a couple teams who have this and then it comes out Sunday morning that it's like false alarm they don't actually have this um you know people in the medical field can be bought <laughs> to say what they want to be what, what people want to hear so um I can't say I I trust the NFL in putting the player safety here first but uh, they're going to make sure we get football regardless here. And if it truly was an accident and it was a mistake, then great. I don't want anyone to get this. And I think the NFL is, you know, taking this as, as, as seriously. I think we talked about that with hard knocks last week, uh, even in this situation um, with the, with the news that this came out, you know, several teams uh, shut down camps and they started sanitizing and they started deep cleaning. Like that tells me that they're being responsible here. I think the players expect that and they're getting that as well. Uh, I just I don't know how this is going to go in the regular season. It's not like you can schedule double headers like baseball can. Uh, so I don't know how that's going to work. I'm very interested to find out. Um, the other COVID-related thing is that there are teams announcing that there will be fans in the stands for their games week one, which is a, a crazy concept in 2020 since there hasn't been a fan in a sporting event since March 11th uh, when Rudy Gobert <laughs> tested positive and uh, shut down the entire NBA world and the sports world for that matter. Um, some teams in some areas just said, we don't care. We talked briefly about the chiefs, uh, allowing 20% of their fan base in for the home opener. Uh, the Cowboys are, uh, the team that's going to allow fans. Um, I think if it's an outdoor facility and you can spread everyone out well enough, it can be done. The question is, is it a great idea, Matt? I assume you're going to go on the side of no here. I, I've read this with the Dolphins, the Cowboys, the Chiefs. I mean, it's just so asinine, but let's just look past that. So let's say you go to the game. How many – I don't know very many people that go to sporting events by themselves. I mean, usually you go to mingle. So what happens – are you going to prevent tailgating? Because that's one of the big staples of NFL games is tailgating. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to control social distancing while tailgating? Are you going to open the parking lot early? Are you going to make sure that they go straight into the stadium? And then what? Are you going to sit in section 145 and your best buddy's going to sit in section 346 where you're 150 feet away from each other? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you are going to monitor 15,000 people in a stadium. You have to have concession stands open. Who, who's going to work the concession stands? How are you going to work the lines? I mean, there's so many things here where I do not – and you know what? The teams are going to do what the teams are going to do. But Jesus Christ, this is one of the worst ideas in the history of worst ideas because you have to have multiple people working concessions. You're going to have to have people sanitizing the bathrooms after someone gets done using the bathroom. Uh, the seats, I, I don't I, I don't know. You know, what they could do, Randy – and, th- and here's just a crazy thought. You, I'm not sure if you ever watched Shark Tank, but those little uh, cubes that you put over yourself that soccer parents will mm-hmm. get to prevent the rain, yeah. may- maybe they'll have those at each seating section. So you just have to put a cube on. I think you're onto something. I think you could sell, like, little PSLs for those. <laughs> you know what? I-, I-, I need to get in contact with them immediately, pitch my idea, and I will single-handedly save NFL attendance this year. I would like to think that Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones being in the same city could work on something like that. But uh, it seems like Mark Cuban is probably taking this a little bit more seriously than Jerry Jones is. And Mark Cuban would probably say, no, you idiot. You shouldn't have fans in the stands at all. Um, 
But the Cowboys did say that there'd be a limited uh, capacity and people would be able to socially distance outside and inside of AT&T Stadium. So I'm assuming, you know, there's going to be some cornhole involved and they're going to be playing, uh, they're going to be tailgating outside of the stadium. Uh, there's, you know, 15 entrances and exits and there's 3 million square feet of the facility. So like, I guess maybe if you limited to the groups of four and spread them out throughout everywhere, it can be done. Still not convinced it's the greatest idea, but we're going to do it. We're gonna we're gonna see what happens here. Uh, not not sure it's the best idea, but uh, you know what? I'm I'm gonna embrace it and say I want to see uh, as close to a normal football game as possible, and that is gonna be with fans. I want to see disappointed Cowboy fans in the stands when they lose opening night to the Rams, <laughs> uh, which is a perfect segue because the Rams are the subject of this season of Hard Knocks, along with the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, and we saw an interesting episode two which featured some padded practices, thank goodness, which is so nice to see. Uh, and what else did we see? I have some notes here. A lot of flashbacks in this episode, which tells me there's not a lot to talk about. Uh, you saw how much of a beast that Austin Eckler was um, when he made his preseason debut, which just goes to show how important preseason is for some guys. Like, he went from being undrafted to now being the starting running back of the Chargers and getting paid. Like, he, like him on that, uh, that punt um, – punt coverage where he's getting double teamed on the outside he gets knocked down he gets back up and chases the guy down for a tackle that probably saved a touchdown like that's the kind of stuff you don't necessarily see unless you're watching the tape uh love that kind of effort love how you make a team that's how you make a team in the preseason um like i said there are pads aaron donald takes the shirt off and i just i i'm just we're not the same species because he is just a tank of a human being ripped to shreds from top to bottom i don't understand how this man uh, ever gets blocked. Uh, I don't know how anyone can stay in front of him, how anyone matches his strength. He's amazing. We'll get more into that. And I kind of came to the conclusion, Matt, and you kind of touched on this, that you would rather play for Anthony Lynn last week. Sean McVay is kind of annoying. Uh, <laughs> if, he, if he was yelling at me the whole time during practice, I would get over it. I, I, it would get old pretty quickly, if you ask me. Um, just give me your quick, quick notes, that you your quick takeaways from the episode two of Hard Knocks. I thought it was great. And anybody that wants to watch football and like you want to understand the game at a more deeper level, watch the area. I think it was around the 35 minute mark where Justin Herbert's talking to Anthony Lynn about his cadence and how he's tipping his hand to the defense when he's going faster for, see the best thing with the NFL is so minute that he goes faster with his cadence on run plays than he does passing plays. It would literally take a defense two plays to figure that out and start blowing shit up. That is how insane it is and how detailed you have to be. And then you see Tyrod Taylor get in there, just a perfect cadence. Something as small as that to play the quarterback mm-hmm. position in the NFL is so – it's insanity. And Herbert came from Oregon where he never spoke. He just clapped on everything. Yep. So you see that level of detail, which was just amazing, I thought. And then what we talked about earlier in the year, like Austin Eckler and Anthony Lynn even said it. He was like, I don't know how we find Austin Eckler if there's no preseason games because he wouldn't have made the team. You know, they basically admitted they would have caught him if it was just based on training camp. So yeah. th- those were two takeaways along with um, Rex Ryan's kid. You know, we got yes. lineage talking about flashbacks. Sean mm-hmm. Ryan, you know, um, offensive quality control coach who tested positive for COVID. But guess what? Mm-hmm. False positive. Yeah. So. Uh, th- th- those are all aspects I just found to be interesting. And yes, Sean McVay, like, I don't, 
Jared Goff feels like the perfect emasculated quarterback for Sean McVay <laughs> to keep on going through that because I can just imagine Tom Brady shooting lasers at him yeah. as he's talking to him about throwing the football and where to go with it. So yeah. it's just interesting. I, li- I love the flashback for, for with Rex Ryan too because the Jets season is one of my favorite seasons ever. And the way he ends where he's like, let's go get a goddamn snack. Like that's like one of the most iconic hard knocks lines. So I'm not surprised that they got that in there. Um, but I also love the flashbacks with uh, the offensive lineman whose name is escaping me. Andrew um, Whitworth. Andrew Whitworth. Yes. And he was on the season in 2007 with the Bengals or 2009 years ago. But obviously he, the joke is that he is so old and that they make fun of him for being so old, but he is clearly a leader on this team. Uh, and I love that they kind of go to him and say, you know, tell me about your experiences. What, what should I do differently? And, you know, you need guys like that, regardless of how effective they are in the field, to truly take charge like that. So I love seeing the Whitworth back in the day with Chad Ochocinco and seeing him now uh, with a lot of these young guys on the Rams. Yeah, and I think the Rams are in a good spot because, like, McVay would piss me off. But then you see guys like Aaron Donald, who's been in the league, yeah. you know, I wouldn't say he's an elder statesman, but, you know, this is his fifth, sixth year, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously one of the best defensive players who's taking his time to help guys like, Hey, you know, your form, your techniques all, you know, like it's all asshole, no back, you know? So yeah. guys like that are so important to have. And then you see Andrew Whitworth, who, I mean, you can only feel for a guy like 38 years old, 14 15 years in the nfl and you know those bones are hurting man you get to see him he's got that little vibration machine kind of loosening Mm -hmm. up those joints and those muscles i mean that guy i bet it is one hell of a task to get out of bed in the morning for him but oh man i i can't imagine this all those collisions over the years playing the line for that that many years and still coming back and trying to play like that, that. I mean, I remember him, what his, what he said after losing the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, or I believe it was like, we're all going to die at the end of the day. But I didn't love that, but uh, I do appreciate him at camp uh, kind of leading the charge for that unit for sure. Yeah. And there was another guy, um, Clayton Johnson or, you know, John Clayton. The, the, the linebacker, right? The, yeah. Yeah. Like, Jesus Johnson. Christ, that guy was pissing me off. I'm just like, stop talking and just fucking get it right, man. Like, the old coach was yeah. coming out in me. Like, just do your damn job. I like that he was talking to the, one of the other linebackers. Um, I can't think of his name. It was kind of a difficult one to say, so I'm not even really going to try. But he's like, you know, how do you, know, how, how do you like, stop making all these mistakes? He's like, how do you get to that point? And the guy's like, look, it's all confidence, and it's all having a short memory because you're going to make mistakes in the game. You got to get back up. You got to forget about it. And you got to go make plays. Um, no one is immune to not, <laughs> to not making any mistakes. Uh, everyone does make this mistake. Even the greatest players ever will make a mistake. You can't just dwell on that one mistake or you're going to get caught up in everything and you're not even going to see the field. Uh, obviously, he was drafted in the seventh round, I believe. So there's a big learning curve when you're a lower level prospect like that to come in. This is where preseason would be so important to get live game action with the full speed where you could actually go hit people. And I think that's really affecting him as well. But this is a, a fringe roster spot guy. So, so preseason in camp means everything to him at the end of the day. Uh, and mentally, uh, sports in general, especially at this level, means so much. And you have to be on top of it. And if you make a mistake, you make a wrong read, you didn't understand the play call, you uh, miss a tackle, uh, you know what? That's fine. At the end of the day, you're going to make mistakes. But you got to, A, realize what you did wrong, B, uh, fix it, 
and three, move on. You got to be able to just get right back into it. There's another play happening. The, the play doesn't, the, the game doesn't end after that one mistake. So that is alarming to me uh, for his uh, roster aspirations. Yeah, I think so, the thing, the, the, the line where is, you know, you always hear throughout football, like if you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake full speed. And mm-hmm. you could see him kind of hesitating on the hole, not knowing where to go, which is fine. I mean, you can do all that, but full speed, man, go full speed. I think his big thing is he's going to have to find a special team spot to latch onto. Special team players usually come from your linebackers and safeties because these are guys that are used to tackling, used to, you know, running full speed, trying to make those plays. So that's going to be a big aspect of if these guys can make this team. And as we alluded to before, not having preseason games are going to hurt a lot of these chances. The guys that get it mentally are going to be the guys on the roster, I feel. The guys that don't get it mentally are going to be the guys that are going to be looking for a job come September 10th. Yeah. I, I have not high hopes for that for that man making the roster based on that, 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 uh, that segment with him. Um, before we move on, I just want to mention that Whitworth, we should probably mention, you know, said his entire family basically had the coronavirus uh, earlier this year. Um, you know, they had five adults and four children, including himself, with it. So, you know, they talked about their experiences with that and uh, how he feels the NFL has done a really great job of uh, keeping the coronavirus out of the camp so far. And, um, you know, he's not uh, he's not sure of how it'll affect him or his family in the future. So that was kind of a sobering moment um, that, you know, him and his wife were talking about, which, you know, is very real. I think a lot of people have gone through experiences differently than others. And, you know, this is one example of this guy being a world class athlete and him and his family had been, you know, all fully infected by this so something that we all have to take seriously and i'm glad she spoke up about that i'm always interested in hearing those stories and, and i'm glad everyone is okay obviously but uh hearing those firsthand experiences about how you had it and then you probably are the one who gave it to your family and the new kids that is probably a situation that can't make you feel all that feel good at all yeah and just to go back on that too just like their nanny went to go get lunch with a friend and boom mm-hmm. you know she got it, mm-hmm. it it's you know, it really is that simple, which is really, you take a look at it and you're just like, man, am I making the right decisions? Always questioning what you're doing. So I, I think to keep that in perspective, and I, I kind of like what he said, but I also do feel like there's a responsibility on us as a society to take every possible precaution we can take. If, you know, going out to lunch, if you really want to go out to lunch, maybe, you know, get it to go, you know, don't mm-hmm. sit in and dine in. And maybe she didn't. But I, I do like the line where it's like, it wasn't a bad decision. You know, it just happens. So yeah. it's a positive way to look at it. I think, you know, given his life experiences and how long he's been in the NFL, he's made out for this sort of thing. Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously a sickness and an illness to you and your family is not ideal, but, you know, you are more at risk with other things when you play a football. Maybe you're not as afraid of this situation. I think, you could sell how much it bothered him that it had his whole family infected. When you're going out on the football field, it directly impacts you, um, where this whole thing kind of affected his entire family. So glad everyone is safe and healthy there, but you can tell how much uh, mentally it did affect them and how much you could sell the emotion on their face. Um, but regardless of who has had uh, COVID-19, which you know is still unknown and will be unknown for a very long time here, uh, the, the, the final numbers and all that, but uh, – We've all been affected in different ways, and I can certainly relate to Chargers' undrafted rookie running back Darius Bradwell, 
who started off uh, the episode doing drills and who got fat shamed hard by Anthony Lynn and uh, the strength and conditioning coach, John Lott. And, uh, you know, I'm with, I, I kind of can relate to keeping the, uh, being, not being able to keep the pounds off during quarantine. So I'm, I can relate to that, although I'm not the one who is trying out trying to make an NFL roster here. So uh, they had a, a nice little clip of him doing some drills that looked pretty difficult, but, uh, if, if nothing else, you got to be in shape for these, the, the situation. That is one, I think, really hard on the rookies because while the rookies, especially the later round draft picks, it, how do you financially support, you know, going – the gyms aren't open, so you almost have to have your own personal gym. I'm not sure if the team facilities were open for these guys to go work out, but it felt like – this was probably the worst year in the history of the NFL to be a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round rookie trying to make it, especially undrafted rookie, because the resources are just so limited this time. You know, these guys, there's a certain amount of time you can spend in the building, a certain amount of time you can spend with coaches, and then having to learn on Zoom. A lot of the involuntary mini camps were canceled. Rookie mini camps were canceled mm-hmm. in a lot of situations. So these guys had to find a lot of ways to, like you said, keep the weight off. I, I never. It was always hard for me to gain weight, so I don't. You know, now I can. You know, emphasize with that situation because it's just like. I, you know, I, it's easy to put on weight, but man, when I was playing, it was so hard for me to gain weight. I, I had to worry about keeping weight on as opposed to losing yeah. it. So that was so damn hard for me. So seeing him do the drills and seeing him work, man, I have a lot of respect for a lot of these guys and I get it. It's hard. You're in quarantine and it's almost like that depressive nature where like, man, I got nothing to do. And I'm just going to eat something. So uh, that was me. That was me for three months. <laughs> That's I mean, totally relatable. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the shit happens, you know, what are you going to do? So hopefully the kid makes the team. Hopefully the kid has a really good career and everything. And he sheds those little pounds that, well, not little pounds, but shed those pounds that he put on. Yeah. I think the Rams have a history with bigger backs. I think they had success with CJ Anderson a couple of years ago, who certainly was not a small guy. Um, but he definitely has to be start toning some things up here because you can't have all that excess fat slowing you down. You need to be quick on your feet. Uh, the NFL speed is unlike anything else, and it's not something you can just get thrown into and adjust to right away. Uh, I'm surprised that Anthony Lynn didn't try to brace him for this a little bit more. Anthony Lynn is a former running back, and he has those uh, you know past experiences in the NFL. Um, but I also think that will help Bradwell in the future, given that Anthony Lynn does have past running back experiences. He understands how to train. He understands what to do uh, to prepare for those situations. So regardless of who plays running back, whether Bradwell gets cut or not, you know, it helps when you're running back to have a coach who played the position and knows the in and outs of it. Yeah, I, I think he'll be fine. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we move to sec- the second segment, which, it must be really nice being Jalen Ramsey. I just got to say, um, Jalen Ramsey, I have no doubt, worked really hard in his life to get to where he is. He's very talented. He is a great football player for sure. He's not even that rich yet, um, but he's going to be very rich here soon. Um, they cut to him doing some house shopping in the Los Angeles area where he looked at a house that was completely designed and decorated for him. 
to see if he liked what it looked like when he would be fully uh, moved in and settled in. They had, you know, pictures of his kids. Um, you know, they had Oreos on the counter. They had, um, you know, a whole studio with, you know, boxing on TV. Um, you know, they catered to all of his wants and needs and desires. And it looks pretty freaking sweet. I mean, Jalen Ramsey and I are very much different people financially, that's for sure. Um, but wouldn't it be nice just to kind of get shown a house and it didn't matter what it cost and what it, what it, what it, what it meant, like what the payment was or anything? Uh, and that, that, that's the dream life right there, isn't it? I think, yeah, yeah I, I, came, I came across impressed with Jalen, though, because it didn't seem like it was over the top, you know? It just kind of yeah. seemed like, you know, this is what the guy wants. It seemed simple enough. I didn't think anything was too extravagant. So, I mean, I came away like, man, Jalen, good for you, man. Go get that house. And it is amazing. I, I would love to go to a house that was catered specifically for me. Like, and I was thinking throughout the episode, I was watching, I was like, man, what would my house look like? <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it is nice, man, to be able to not worry about money as an object, buy as much land and as much house as you would like. You know, I, yeah. I think it's that, what, it was 31 acres that he had. Yes. Yeah, and that, that's a whole lot of, that's a whole lot of stuff right there. Yeah, I mean, the alarming thing to me is that you didn't show him a house with a pool. I mean, you live in Cal Southern California, you got to have some sort of, some pool set up well, there. Well, but... I mean, he, he was going to build one, though. I mean, he, he already had it mapped yeah. out. But I would almost say you would want to have your own pool installed for your own specif specifications. It's a lot okay. easier having one put in that you like instead of inheriting one. That's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. Uh, I also love the artwork on the on the back of patio area that had just love all over it uh and that showed me you know Jalen Ramsey is truly a, a you know a heartwarming guy and I, I I didn't see that you know you don't see that side of football players typically so it seemed like Jalen Ramsey's got a lot of love in his heart and I appreciate that I think he got a really bad rap when he listed all the garbage quarterbacks in the <laughs> NFL <laughs> that that will do it for sure um I want to talk about a couple more segments which involves players playing sports that they don't play professionally uh and I'm going to start with Jared Goff who has a golf mini golf course at his house uh we had a whole segment on him doing a little uh I don't know if it was a you know a par one type situation maybe a little a short pitch type situation but it was basically he could have set up a basketball court down in a, in a field um, but he's like, you know what, I'm going to practice my short game. He had a, uh, I don't even know what he was shooting, but he would just take a bucket of balls and shoot them and try to make them in the hole. Him and his girlfriend and a buddy of his, uh, he called his roommate, um, we're all kind of hitting the balls here. It looked like a good time. Like, it looked like I could kill a couple hours just in the backyard smacking some golf balls around. Um, it's a pretty sweet setup for Jared Goff. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I would be out there all day. I mean, my, my wife and children would never see me if I had something like that set up. I mean, it was just beautiful chipping, pitching. You know, he almost made one right off the bat, which was impressive. Um, yeah. It's only you get a couple of beards, you get a couple of buddies come over. Oh, yeah, man. It, you get a TV out there. Oh, man. You, you can waste hours on end. And God knows, golf's got enough money to do whatever he wants. Yeah, I'm not even a golfer, but I, I would totally just be out there messing around. Uh, I, I'm competitive. I would try to perfect it as much as I could. I would try to be hitting it into the hole as many times as possible. If you're a golfer, you know, that's where you practice is hitting it out of the green uh, from 80 yards out or 80 feet out situations. Like, I, I, I don't understand, like, I understand golf, but I don't play it enough to, to know those situations. But it just looked like a good time. It looked like a good hang. Uh, 
you know, it's bad. You have a basketball court, you can go down and shoot around, but then you probably get bored after a little while. You probably need to, you know, you need 10 people to come over and play a game. Unless you cut, you know, play two on two or three on three. This is a perfect game for a couple people. Uh, maybe you can even do it by yourself. Jared Goff hanging out. It looks like he's a good hang. Honestly, like Jared Goff, kind of a chill guy. I could see me hanging out with a couple Coronas in the backyard, hitting some golf balls with Jared Goff. You know, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that situation. Yeah, for, for me, you know, I'd probably want to hang out with like the Tiger Woods, um, you know, the Phil Mickelsons <laughs> of the world. These guys live on golf courses. I mean, why that is nice. Sometimes, Randy, you just want to let one loose and just rip a driver 300 yards or 250. Yeah. Or, you know, for some of us, dribble one out there 50 yards, you know, <laughs> a routine grounder. So, yeah. oh, oh, no, man. Like, it's a nice setup. Um, but for, for me – I don't know if I could hang out with Jared Goff. He just seems like those, you know, nothing gets us chill people, but I like someone with a little bit of edge to them, you know, a little edginess. I guess there's probably a little bit of a generational gap here. What terrifies me is he's totally like cool California guy. Like I probably can't relate to him in that aspect at all, but you know, I could hang out, rip, uh, rip down a few beers and, uh, you know, if I tried to hit a golf ball 300 feet, like you said, on a, off a tee, you know, what's going to happen, right? It's going to slice right into the woods. So maybe for me, it's not the best idea to do that. Uh, but with, with some practice, I'm sure it's a lot more fun. Um, the activity that other players were playing in this episode, which I am so much better at, which I would love to be a part of, I, I, I got to say, I'm pretty good at it. I'm not really that good, but I'm getting better at it by the weekend. Uh, which is cornhole, which some people call bags. I, I, I don't know. It's the professional league is called the American Cornhole League, so I'm going to call it cornhole. Um, you know, Derwin James and a, a couple other guys were you know playing two on two cornhole, and it looked like a great time. Honestly, uh, every time I play cornhole, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I love this sort of like, hey, we're kind of quarantined together, sort of. We got to be responsible, and you saw this in the NBA bubble too. These guys getting together to play a game that's like the average guy like you and I could play. I love seeing them struggle with these minor little things, but I would kill to just go play cornhole with professional athletes and pick their brain while doing it. See, now I'm wondering if it's not only generational between us, but location as well, because I mean, I just called it bags when, when we would play those. Like, okay. hey, you want to play a game of bags, but I could definitely see the, um, yeah. And Ryan confirms Ryan Shiner, uh, faithful contributor to the show in Chicagoland, it's bags. There we go. I knew it. I knew it was location, but yeah. oh hell yeah, man! Just to be able to chill with these guys and do <laughs> mundane, average Joe tasks. <laughs> See, I'm the type of idiot that would talk shit to these guys as I'm whooping their ass in something, without realizing, <laughs> hey man, if I step on the football field with these guys, they are going to kill me. In the case of Aaron Donald, he could probably kill me in anything that he so desires, but probably. <laughs> I imagine if Aaron Donald shot, uh, you know, a bag, uh, the board would just break on impact. Uh, I think if he, you know, he would get so much arc on it, it would come down with such force that the game's just over at that point. You know, I, I think when I saw The Rock, you know, when uh, – I forget what movie it was, but, like, he was just totally jacked up. I'm like, I'm never going to see another human being that jacked. And then on episode two of Hard Knocks, I see Aaron Donald. And I'm like, what the f- – he was, you talk about, it was like a man on one of those Greek mountains of tributes of all the Greek gods. And there's Aaron Donald, this chiseled out of marble. Yeah. He's, he uh, is a physical specimen, unlike many 
that I've seen on hard knocks. The one closest to him, I would say, is Miles Garrett from a couple of years ago with the Browns. He often had his shirt off, and he had a physique that was, you know, almost looked like it was chiseled out of stone. Uh, didn't not look like it was real. So Aaron Donald looks – I don't even know how to explain it, but it just – it's impressive uh, how he's built for sure. But in our, our intense cornhole matchup here, Derwin James hits the last two shots for the win. Uh, you know, it's all about the clutch gene. It's good to see that Derwin James isn't afraid of the big moment. So uh, good for Derwin James. Uh, you know, next time, you know, pull up and we can play up here in upstate New York. Uh, <laughs> I want to get it. I just want to talk about uh, Sean McVay one last time before we wrap up Hard Knocks. Um, there was one thing I liked about him and his interactions with Jared Goff. Uh, Jared Goff didn't have a play call right away in his head and he asked for it again and McVay kind of got on him for it and he said why, why aren't you there why aren't you there and he's like I just needed to hear it again and then he said you know what I like that I like that you explained to me why you needed it you, need, you wanted me to say it again I don't like anytime you need that you tell me because that's communication I appreciate that McVay I think has that sort of generational connection to these guys where if you're an old school coach you know Belichick would be like no you're a fucking idiot like just get it right you know, I don't feel like every coach would be totally uh, accepting of that sort of thing. So McVay, to me, I like that he was uh, embracing um, golf, and, and I'm, I'm glad golf communicated what he needed uh, uh, in that situation because so many quarterbacks might not just might not say anything. You know, he's just – he knew why he needed it, and he could visualize it, and that to me is so important. So I, I really actually kind of like their dynamic. Um, what did you make of that situation? Pretty much the same as you. I don't have an issue – I think if a guy needs to hear something, I'd rather that be spoken instead of me just yeah. assuming and like, oh, you're just a fucking idiot. I mean, there's a ton of pressure on him. Let's get it right right now and let's, you know, try to fix this before the season goes. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing about McVay, uh, he's a little self-aware here. Uh, we gave him a little bit of shit for taking his shirt off in the first episode. Uh, and I, I want to get his exact quote here. Um, but he did make reference to it, uh, which I can't find his quote. Maybe I can. He goes, all right. He offers an apology and he says, you get a chance to reflect on it. I apologize for my poor judgment. Taking off my shirt on hard knocks was a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) So I love that this is a a week by week thing. And these aren't already all put together because then you have a chance to watch the first week and then react and have that in, in the second episode. So, uh, as much as his voice annoys me, and how much him bark, it kind of sounds like a barking like mini dog in the background in a lot of these situ- a lot of these things for me. I love that he has a sense of humor and that he can laugh at himself. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really good self aware moment, and that humanizes you as a coach, and it helps mm-hmm. your players connect with you, and it was good for a laugh. Yeah, I love that. Um, uh, it kind of annoys me, but I love that he's uh, totally relatable for people my age, especially. Um, all right, so it is August 25th. It is the day after Kobe Bryant Day, uh, and it is fantasy football season, Matthew. And I don't know if you've been doing any mock drafts, but I've been doing a ton of them. I've been getting ready. I'm in a bunch of leagues. Um, this year is going to be unlike any other, so I want to make sure I am fully prepared, and I want to make sure our audience is fully prepared for anything that they have going on this year. So I just wanted to throw some feelers out there for our audience. I want to see if anyone is interested in a football life fantasy football league. And I want to see how interested you guys are in hearing our fantasy football advice. I want to potentially open up a forum for your questions that we can talk about and give advice. Um, so I'm just, I, I want to, you know, I want to take the temperature of the room and you tell me about your fantasy football interest. So we had a great fantasy football discussion in football life earlier this week about running backs uh, and where we're interested in taking them and, 
who we want, who we don't want. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is situational. So it's, it's really all about strategy and where you're picking in the draft and your, your style of draft. So I want to start off with strategy for you, Matt, uh, and your fantasy football uh, history and your experience. Um, when it comes to drafting, what is your strategy early on? Because to me, your first four picks can make or break your draft. Uh, are you someone who typically goes zero RB, zero wide receiver? You do a kind of a mix. Uh, you know, what are your goals when you go into a draft? I think it really depends on the scoring format. If it's PPR, I will, depending on where I'm picking, obviously I think you want that multi-dimensional running back that's going to get a lot of touches on the ground and also a lot of catching opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like a lot of those running backs don't exist. Um, Saquon Barkley has always been kind of that darling for the past couple of seasons, and he's been hurt. So obviously you're going to probably shy away from him. But PPR, I'm looking for opportunities. If later in the first round, I'm drafting wide receiver. If I'm drafting like 11 or 12 and I get the back snake round, I'm probably going wide receiver, wide receiver, because I just be at, you know, that one point per reception and I'm going to draft reception machines. Um, Standard scoring, you know, I got to find the running backs because those are going to take you home the trophies. The guys are going to get a carries, especially now that there's a lot of two back systems and you hate those touchdown poachers. Like there's not a lot of good situations when it comes to that. So I really study the biggest thing for me. And every time someone asks me about fantasy football, I will always tell them, look for guys that get opportunities because Uh the opportunities will maximize the scoring. You don't want to take a guy that, you know, is splitting time. You don't want a guy that's that fringe two or three wide receiver a slot receiver is great if he's getting 75 to 80 catches a year. He's not great if he's getting 50 catches a year. You know, that's kind of like a bench guy that you would look for. But always draft opportunities high. Yeah, I think regardless of PPR or not PPR, you know, running backs are a premium because the, the more and more the NFL goes towards this offensive uh, high-scoring league that it is, uh, the depth of wide receivers is huge. You can get, you know, wide receiver production in later rounds that you cannot get from the running back position. So for me, I am very much in the thought process of I need a running back in the first round regardless. I'm going to take, you know, the guy I think is the best for me in that spot. If I have the first overall pick, I'm going to pick Christian McCaffrey and not think twice about it. You know, Christian McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson won me my league last year. So I'm going to pick Christian McCaffrey. He's probably the best all-around running back in the NFL right now. But you also have guys like Ezekiel Elliott, who has been so good in his first four years of his career. You have Derrick Henry, who had had 30% of the Titans offense in his first year. Whether it's PPR or not, I'm all in on Derrick Henry because, like you said, opportunity, volume, it's all there. Like, he's the guy at the goal line who's going to get all the touches. You want those those points. Dalvin Cook, despite my concern about his injury history, he's going to make plays for the Vikings. So I'm all in on Dalvin Cook. Nick Chubb, I know people are nervous about Nick Chubb, but with, with uh, Kareem Hunt behind him, Nick Chubb is still the guy. Uh, he's going to get a lot of touches for the Browns. I love Nick Chubb. There's a lot of running backs in the first round that it almost makes the wide receiver position uh, un- unimportant. Uh, you can wait to take your first receiver into the third round. You can get an Allen Robinson uh, or a Chris Godwin in the third round, and they can be your wide receiver one, and you're not going to regret it. And those guys, especially in a PPR setting, are not going to disappoint. Allen Robinson gets more targets as like top three in targets every year. And if he, if Nick Foles is, you know, even a step better than Mitchell Trubisky, he's going to take another step in as far as fantasy production goes. So uh, 
for me, uh, I'm always going to go running back. If I can go running back, running back, I would uh, ideally like to do that, but it depends where you draft. If you have the number one pick in the draft, chances are you're getting another running back that's worth it there in the second, end of the second round. Probably not. I mean, you, if you could get like a Le'Veon Bell to fall for you, I'm fine with that. You know, the volume's going to be there for him, especially in a PPR. Um, but in that situation, what I started to do last year, and as if, you know, say I have the first pick, or last year, I, for example, I'm using my last year's last draft last season. I had third overall pick, uh, and I picked Christian McCaffrey. Um, Saquon and Zeke went one, two. Uh, and I came on back on the other end. This is a 14-team league. Uh, there wasn't the greatest running back options, and there wasn't the greatest wide receiver options. So the best player available for me was a tight end and Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey acts as, almost as a wide receiver for you there, especially in a PPR where he has over 100 catches every year. He plays in the Chiefs offense it's going to produce, and he's the focal point of. So if you're more willing to accept it, you know, tight ends are not deep, and there are three guys at the top that are worth taking, and if not, you might as well wait. So if you can get your hands on a Kelsey, Kittle, or Ertz, especially in a PPR, then do that. But I would recommend always, no matter what, pick a running back in the first round. Um, the guy you're most comfortable with, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, I won't pick a guy like David Johnson. I won't pick a guy like Leonard Fournette. But there are plenty of running backs in the league that I want stock in that you just need guys who are going to get chances, like you said. The running backs towards the end of the draft aren't, they aren't, are not going to be – um, almost worth it. You're almost willing to, you should be more willing to play the wire, uh, you know, pick up guys as you go, see who gets more chances as the season goes on. But you, that's why running backs are at such a premium because, you know, they, they're just, it's not a deep position quite like wide receiver is, um, which is, <laughs> leads me to my next question. Uh, there's a lot of buzz around the Chiefs running back in the first round pick, Clyde Edwards Elair. Um, now with Damian Williams opting out for the season, Matt, I just want to ask you right off the top here, would you take, uh, CEH in the first round because I'm starting to talk myself into that possibility. I, I would have to know the pick because I think with the Chiefs, and, and here's my issue when we talk about teams like Tampa, Cleveland, and Kansas City. When you have so many options and so many uh, weapons at your disposal, when we talk about opportunities, I, I feel like those opportunities will get taken away from some of these guys like the Chiefs. Um, Got what was his name again? Clyde Edwards Elaire. Clyde Edwards Elaire. I, I feel like he's not going to get the amount of touches, especially in the end zone area where you're typically going to see some play action from Mahomes and probably touchdown passes to Travis Kelsey if it's not a 50 yard bomb to Watkins or Hill. So I, I would shy away. Like a guy that I really like, um, Aaron Jones out of Green Bay. I, I see him as a goal line touchdown machine who will get the bulk of Green Bay's. And now Green Bay running backs used to be taboo, but I think with Matt LaFleur kind of showed us, he wants to accentuate the running game a little bit more. Um, For sure. So I think Aaron Jones might be a sneaky late round pick. I, I do agree. Running backs are a very tricky position and it's thin at the top. I, I think there's a lot of guys in the middle. Like I think you have the Aaron Jones, David Montgomery, Austin Eckler, um, maybe even a Ronald Jones type from Tampa. But at the top, Randy, I just think Zeke, Henry, McCaffrey, maybe Barkley, maybe Chubb. And I'm drawing a blank on another guy, Cook, Dalvin Cook. You want Cook? Yeah, yeah Cook too. Yeah, I mean – I, I mean, you, the, 
I'm sorry, but like you, I, I did a mock earlier and I saw someone take Michael Thomas third overall. But to me, you have eight guys that you should be taking as running backs before you even think about taking Michael Thomas. And especially uh, in a PPR, Michael Thomas is worth it in the first round, but you need one of those elite running backs in that spot, if you ask me. Yeah, and Leon asked a good question. And David Johnson, who was a fantasy darling, are we looking at a bounce back year? I, I don't see how, because it's one of those teams where the Texans, it, it just, it, it feels like it's committee. I think, do they still have, um, forgetting his name at running back? They have Duke Johnson. Carlos Hyde is gone. But they okay. Yeah, so Johnson seems like he's going to be the first and second down back, and Duke Johnson will come in for third downs. I, I don't want a guy like that on my team from David Johnson. He may want a thousand yards receiving. He ain't getting a thousand yards receiving. I can tell you that much unless the Texans are just complete trash, which by all accounts, they might be, but no, I, you know, Clyde Edwards, that, that's a good question. And I keep on going back to it with Damian Williams gone. He, he might be worth a, a flyer. I'm just not sure if I, want to risk a first rounder on that flyer i'm just reading a lot of reports out of camp how much the chiefs love him and i love that offense so much and you saw that uh you know with what uh the running back position did for them last year you know underafted rookies and uh on over the hill lashawn mccoy if this guy is truly the focal point of the backfield and he's going to have success. Andy Reid typically has success with running backs, whether it is LaShawn McCoy, whether it's you can go all the way back um, to Brian Westbrook. Um, there, uh, Sharkandrick West had success in this offense. Like, it really didn't matter who was in here. So this is a guy they've spent a first-round pick on. He's a, a good pass catcher. He led the SEC in all-purpose yards. Like, I love what I'm hearing out of camp, and I love this Chiefs offense so much that I am contemplating it. As far as David Johnson goes, if he's there – in the third round, I feel like I'll pull the trigger on it. If he's my if me if he's my RB two, then I'll do it. I'm not willing to make him my RB one because there's just too much risk there for me. I would rather have a guy who's going around the same time as him, like Chris Carson. Chris Carson had a lot of success with Seattle last year. I know he had fumbles, but Pete Carroll still kept giving him the ball. Seattle's a run heavy offense. Give me all the Chris Carson stock you got. I'd rather have him than David Johnson. Yeah, I mean, I would I, – I, I think I agree with you on that because those are a couple of good points. Another running back we forgot to talk about here, Randy, and I, I know we're kind of running out of time here, but Alvin Kamara. And Kamara's, yeah, good call. I don't know where he fits in of the, you know, ranking of the running backs because we saw him – he was really, really good with Mark Ingram because it was two completely different running styles. And I think, did they have Latavius Murray last year? I forget who they yes. had. Yeah, and it just seemed like it was oil and water. It didn't mix well in the running game. And Kamara kind of, you know, a lot of people picked him high, and it, it didn't provide a lot of substance for championships when you had him, when you drafted that him that high. And I think he his ADP was around five or six in almost every mm -hmm. league there was, especially PPR leagues. PPR darling. So with Breeze and Thomas and that offense, those are two of the main guys I still see as Thomas and Kamara. So I, I think I would put Alvin Kamara in that top six draft yeah. range, maybe top 10 if you're a little iffy on it. So um, 
Clyde Edwards, I probably put him at the back end of a first round draft if you get that. But yeah, for sure. And and like, I'm, I mean, it's a crime that we didn't mention Camara because Camara had a down year last year, but he did say he was playing through injury basically all season. Um, when he's healthy, he is definitely one of the best all around backs in the NFL. He is a great pass catcher. He's just a great playmaker in general. So I'm all in on Camara. If I have the sixth, seventh spot uh, spot in the draft and Camara lands to me, I'm all I'm all in. You know, give me all the Camara stock you got to. Yeah, and Leon brings up Adrian Peterson. Stay away. Every red flag is there to stay away from Adrian Peterson. Age, injuries, a terrible quarterback situation. I mean, he's going to get carries, but the team's going to be garbage. They're going to probably be trailing. Well, I should take that back because their defensive line can provide pressure with Chase Young, Ryan Kerrigan. God, I'm forgetting the other name, and I know this guy, Montez Sweat. Mm-hmm. With those guys, it might be enough to keep them close in games. So maybe Adrian Peterson is an interesting guy. I just, I, I, I'm, I don't want to have Adrian Peterson when the wheels fall off. The thing about Adrian Peterson is that his ADP is so low that you're going to get him in 12th, 13th, 14th round. That, yeah, if you're you're light on RBs and you need a flyer, a guy who can fill in as a flex, like sure, go ahead and pull the trigger on Adrian Peterson, like. I would just think I'd rather have Bryce Love or Antonio Gibson uh, in that backfield, maybe some fresher legs, someone who can break tackles. Uh, Peterson, to me, you know, I'm just not all that interested. Um, but Leon also asks about David Montgomery, who is now the feature back for your Bears. How confident are you in David Montgomery this year? Uh, I'm, I'm highly confident because he's the typical three-down back that they've been looking for. Obviously, with Tariq Cohen, it'll be interesting to see how they display him. Uh, Montgomery didn't get all the touches last year because Cohen is still kind of that weapon X out of the backfield, and he's going to catch a lot of the passes, whoever the quarterback may be, Trubisky or Foles. I mean, if you're for, for the Chicago fans that are tuning in, I mean, the quarterback battle's not looking too uh, too bright. I mean, one day is Foles, the next day is Trubisky. Um, I, I think with Mitch. It's definitely a matchup when you look at who's going to be quarterbacking for the Bears because Mitch is more athletic than Foles. He's going to be able to scramble. I would say Mitch probably will take a little bit more chances down deep, more checkdowns. I think if you had Foles, Montgomery would probably be the better play, and I think Montgomery is probably not a first-round pick for me, probably late second, early third. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've taken him in the third in a couple mocks. I, I like that spot for him in the third because you're an RB1 for a team who's going to run the ball a lot. I, I like that value and that, that volume. Yeah, I mean, if he's there in the third round, I, I think it's a no-brainer. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people, especially – and, and be, i got to be careful when I say this. Fanboys will take their favorite players blindly. They'll talk themselves mm-hmm. into it. The key to winning fantasy titles is letting the draft come to you. Don't overdraft – don't – never overdraft players on your favorite team. You can be blinded by it. I think Barkley um, was very high the past two years. I know I think last year he was going as high as number two, which well, – I think he – yeah, he was one or two last year. Him and CMC were both one-two basically. Yeah, it's a, CMC is definitely – I, th- I think CMC is probably the number one pick, slam dunk, n- number one overall. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so just be careful with Montgomery Bears fans. If you're in fantasy, do not – it's heartbreaking if he doesn't fall to me in the third round, but I knew someone overdrafted him. Like you said, yeah. third round, perfect value. Um, Jacob brings up 
Singletary, Devin Singletary out of Buffalo. I like him a lot, kind of like in the same spot. You know, I, I think that third round spot for that running back, for, for those running backs are a good spot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love Devin Singletary. I had Devin Singletary in a few weeks. He missed like a month. But other than that, he was, you know, very effective when he played for the Bills. They loved Frank Gore a little too much. The goal line for my liking, he's now gone. So Singletary should be the feature back, the full three down back. Uh, I, I love the upside for Devin Singletary. As far as Le'Veon Bell goes, Jacob asks about a bounce back for Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell had the volume last year. Um, the line was really bad in New York. Uh, you know, I think it just has to get better just because they drafted someone. They can't get much worse. Um, you know, you hope Darnold progresses, which would help Bell too. Um, you know, if Bell's there late second, early third, then I'm all in on Le'Veon Bell. I'm just not trying to pick him a little earlier than that. To me, he looked slow last year, but he's still a good pass catcher and he's going to get a ton of volume. It, it, and I think it depends. This is what scares me. And I, I know I was high on Le'Veon Bell. I said I would have drafted him last year. I actually sat out fantasy last year because I wanted to really watch the game intently because I thought the Bears were going to be special. But, you know, shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> but Le'Veon Bell's that classic running back that you just got to be really careful where you draft him because he would be an absolute steal if you got him in the third round and he produced if you drafted him in the first round and it's this kind of repeat performance from last year, I'm not feeling good about it. And what's so confusing about the Jets offense is that I watched Adam Gase with Chicago and it was a shitload of dump offs to running backs. Jay Cutler was the check down King and PPR loved the bears running back position. I can't remember who played running back for the bears. It might've been Matt Forte. Yeah. Fantasy legend, Matt Forte. I loved having him. Oh, yeah. I mean, PPR league, darling, because he was yes. going to catch 80 passes a year. So if, if Le'Veon Bell and Gase get to that kind of connection, yeah, but shit, Adam Gase doesn't even want Le'Veon Bell. I, I look at the Jets as a toxic situation. I, I would be very wary of drafting any offensive players from the Jets. I, I think what you do in situations like this, Randy, and kind of like almost to the Bears wide receivers, I, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Mooney, and I'm hearing, in, you know, Anthony Miller's disappearing, but Anthony Miller really came on last year. I'm not going to draft those types of guys. You know, if they're available in free agency, I'm just going to sit back. I'm just going to monitor for a week or two, but I'm going to keep my eye on those guys. You know, um, I can't remember the Jets wide receivers probably because they're, Mostly on Perriman, Denzel Mims. Yeah. yeah they don't have Robbie Anderson anymore. They really like Chris Herndon, the tight end. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, gu- yeah. guys like that, I'm, I'm sitting back and looking at the waiver wire and seeing if they come to me. I, I don't think you draft Jets offensive players. I'm going to ask you about a running back here. You live in Arizona who's ranked higher than I, I, I would, you know, be willing to take him at. But Kenyon Drake – uh, you know, is being projected to be a top 10 running back in fantasy this year. I don't see it, but he definitely had a nice run at the end of the season for the Cardinals. Uh, I wouldn't pick him in the first round, but maybe I'd entertain it in the second. It's really about uh, where you're getting him for me. I like Kenyon Drake as a running back too, which means I'm not, he's not my first running back I'm taking. Kind of yeah. like with the David Montgomery situation if they fall to me where I want them, great. I will absolutely take them. If, you know, he doesn't fall to me and he's gone, I can live with it. 
I'm with you. I'm not buying all the hype. I mean, top 10 running back status is pretty lofty. And we went through mm-hmm. about nine, 10 names that I would probably take before him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll just give a couple names of guys I won't own in fantasy this year at all. And that's going to be the first name is going to be Miles Sanders, who is also you know pretty high up there in the rankings. I just don't trust Philadelphia. Uh, and, you know, they have a running back by committee. Uh, I will not own Leonard Fournette in a single league either. I really do not like Leonard Fournette uh, as a player at this point in his career. He's been severely overworked. I think he's kind of done at this point. Um, and you know what? As much I, I love the story, and I, I've had him in the past, and I really loved him. But James Conner, I'm not super in on. He had a lot of in, a lot of injuries last year, and this seems to be a trend. So I'm not going to be a guy who owns a ton of James Conner. I almost would say Todd Gurley, but I can envision myself picking up a Gurley um, in like the fourth round, you know, if he fell that far, because he is going to be the feature back in Atlanta. So uh, are there any names of running backs in particular that you're just like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to entertain that. I, I wouldn't take Gurley. I wouldn't touch him. Um, yeah. Leonard Fournette completely with you on that. I don't trust Fournette um, in the past. The yards per carry are just too low and he doesn't offer any upside with his pass catching. Um mm-hmm. I, I'm staying away from the Detroit running back situation altogether. Carry on Johnson doesn't stay healthy enough for me. And I'm not sure if the Lions are completely in love with him. So um, I'm on the fence. And I wanted to ask you about Melvin Gordon, because I'm just not sure how I feel about Melvin Gordon in Denver. I, I really like their wide receivers. I like the quarterback situation more than I thought I would with Drew Locke. I just find some things about Denver kind of iffy about. They're going to play good defense, so the games are going to be close, and all signs point to Melvin Gordon should be successful with this team, but I, I just don't know. What are your thoughts? See, I love uh, Melvin Gordon. He's done well for me in fantasy in the past. Uh, he's obviously a really talented player, uh, but the Broncos also have a guy who is the only undrafted rookie uh, to get two back-to-back 1,000 yards rushing, rushing seasons in its first two seasons in Philip Lindsay. Um, by signing Melvin Gordon, though, it tells me that they're not all in on Philip Lindsay. Um, maybe Philip Lindsay is a situational back who gets 10 to 12 touches a game, and maybe Melvin Gordon is the feature back. I'm willing to take Gordon in a spot where if I'm in the fourth round and I need an RB2, I will take Melvin Gordon because I ultimately I do think he's talented and I think he'll get opportunities. But, you know, with Lindsay and with the pass catchers that they have, I, it's not going to be the, the, same, the same situation like he was with the Chargers. But even with the Chargers, I might add, Eckler was very successful as the backup for him, and he still produced. So that gives me optimism about Melvin Gordon in uh, Denver. Yeah, and that's another interesting name um, I wanted to ask you about. Austin Eckler, how do we feel about him? Eckler, to me, benefited a lot from having Philip Rivers because it wasn't like he was just catching checkdowns all the time. Rivers did throw the ball to him downfield. Um, with that said, I think that whether it's Tyrod Taylor or – Justin Herbert playing quarterback, they will check the ball down to him quite a bit. So, you know, I like Austin Eckler. I'd be happy to pick him in the second round as my RB2. I don't know how confident I'd be in him as my RB1, but, you know, I could see myself owning a bunch of Austin Eckler in, in leagues. All right. And the last situation I'm staying away from, uh, just for the purpose of conversations, is, is Indy's running back situation. I don't know enough about it. I, I know they have Rivers. I know they have T.Y. Hilton. And, uh, you know, so I, I like their wide receiver pieces more than I thought I would. But I just don't feel 100% comfortable with Indy's running back situation. 
yeah, you're going to want to, you know, probably stay away and maybe monitor the waiver wire with this because Jonathan Taylor is the guy who's going to getting picked first uh, in that backfield. And I haven't even seen a lot coming out of camp about him. So I would probably stay away from Jonathan Taylor just because he's a rookie. Um, I mean, I love the offensive line, so maybe it's a, it's a good idea, but um, Marlon Mack is a guy who's had success in the past there too, who I really like as a late round flyer, which we were going to talk about sleepers. And maybe this is a good transition that if you see Marlon Mack in the eighth round or so, you know, pull the trigger on it. He's a running back. And if something happens to Taylor, you know, great offensive line, plenty of opportunity. I love Marlon Mack. Um, and then you have Naheem Hines, who is the primarily their kick returner, punt returner, who got a lot of carries because of Marlon Mack's injuries. Um, but to me, you know, Marlon Mack would be the guy I'd be willing to take the most based on where he's going ADP-wise. I just – I'm not comfortable taking Jonathan Taylor that high. Yeah. As, as a sleeper, I agree with you. I like Jonathan Taylor quite a bit. Um, a, a wide receiver sleeper that I think might be interesting, and this is a real shot in the dark, and I mean – I'm talking about free agent sleeper maximum here, and that's Mooney for the Bears. If Anthony Miller, who hasn't been really showing flashes in training camp, um, Mooney's going to be one of those guys who's going to stretch the defense. I mean, he's got electric speed, and you might see something out of him where it's you know 800 yards, five touchdowns, low receptions, but big plays. And we know what big plays gets you. Big plays get you big points. So he might be one of those sleepers as a flex wide receiver in an emergency situation. I think he could have some value. Obviously, if Anthony Miller is good, I think you take Anthony Miller. But um, sleeper for the Bears outside of Mooney, I don't see it. Um, I'm trying to think of Seattle's situation. I know we talked about um, Carson, who I'm not sure if he's still there. I think he is. But Yeah, Chris Carson's the main back there. Yeah, and they actually have Carlos Hyde as their backup. So if you need insurance for Chris Carson, uh, Carlos Hyde is there. Yeah, you know, I've always been disappointed by Seattle running backs. I've, I've never really found them to be all that valuable in leagues. Well, Marshawn, I mean, ever since Marshawn, I mean, it's been kind of a wasteland. But I think Carson has done a nice job there in the last couple of years. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously he'll go high. And then maybe Carlos Hyde for a sleeper, Duke Johnson. I also actually like – I don't think he, I'm not sure if he's a sleeper, but Joe Mixon. I think Joe Mixon's got a lot of potential, especially as a running back too. Yeah, Joe Mixon is a uh, top twelve uh, in the running back rankings, so he's going you know late first, early second round. I uh, love Joe Mixon as an RB two. Uh, like I said, he's one of those guys where like, I'd, I'd love to have him as a two, but not the most confident if he's my one. But he's uh, he is an RB one at the end of the day. He's going to get the, prim- the the bulk of the carries there in Cincinnati. So. Uh, if you know Joe Mixon is your one, but you have loaded receivers on a tight end, and maybe Lamar Jackson as your quarterback, you can probably get away with it. Um, I'll give a couple of receiver sleepers, which, uh, like I said, receiver is insanely deep here that you can get guys with real value. I'm talking eighth round and beyond. Uh, Darius Slayton for the Giants had a real connection with Daniel Jones last year, late in the year. He's being ranked right now as wide receiver 45, um, which is cr- kind of crazy, but I mean. He's not a name not everyone knows about. Um, And then Brandon Ayuk for the 49ers. He's kind of getting thrown into the fire there. Uh, I could see him being productive for sure. Um, Hunter Renfro in a PPR especially. um, Derek Carr is a checkdown monster. And Hunter Renfro is the ultimate slot checkdown guy. So I love Hunter Renfro as a guy you can get after the 10th round. Um, I got one more name here that I can't seem to locate. Oh, Christian Kirk. 
Uh, Christian Kirk, you could probably get in the eighth round. And I know everyone loves Larry Fitzgerald as the number two there, but Larry Fitzgerald is probably the elder statesman in that offense who's going to play primarily slot. And DeAndre Hopkins is going to draw a lot of attention. And I think that's going to open up a lot of opportunities for Christian Kirk. So, you know, if you need a receiver, you need a wide receiver too, maybe a flex. I love Christian Kirk later in, later in later rounds. Yeah, I was going to go along those same lines. I really believe that Larry Fitzgerald is going to be overdrafted this year. I, I, I think the last sure. year he got overdrafted. I see it happening again this year. I absolutely love Christian Kirk in this offense. I think I, I would be surprised if he doesn't get 80 catches this year. I think he's going to be that valuable to that offense. I also um, – a couple of other guys that I th- – oh, God, just slipped my mind. Um, Marvin Jones for Detroit. Another year with Stafford, and I know that you have that Johnson connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, Galladay. Marvin Johnson Galladay, and yeah. Kenny Galladay. Um, I, I like that combo, and I think Johnson's ranked low enough where I definitely think you can pick him up sixth, seventh, eighth round, um, yep. kind of like you said. Um, and then we kind of about the, at, I just want to touch on the Detroit wide receivers quick. That Galladay is obviously super talented, and they call him Baby Tron and everything. But Jones is still a productive receiver. I mean, he's a touchdown maker. He's often the guy that, you know, you'll get Galladay in the third round, but Jones you can get in the seventh, eighth round as a wide receiver three, and it's great value in that spot. Where Galladay, yes, he's super talented, but may not live up to where you draft him. So I love Jones in that late round, like you said. Yeah, and I I think a sneaky tight end, and I know people killed the Bears for signing um, Jimmy Graham, but Jimmy Graham has been – and. Anyone that knows me, I hold the Bears defense in high esteem, even in practice. I mean, they made Bears quarterbacks look silly last year in training camp. I know it was Trubisky, but it really set Trubisky's confidence down a downward spiral. And I think Nagy really screwed up in not having Trubisky play against lesser competition in preseason. I think that really killed a quarterback's confidence. So everything I've been hearing about Jimmy Graham, he has been a matchup nightmare for the Bears in training camp. It's just – his routes, his catching ability, being able to do all the little things that a tight end can do. I really like Jimmy Graham as a tight end sleeper. All right. Well, I'm going to leave it at that because I think I want to do this again next week with quarterbacks and tight ends. Uh, We talked primarily receivers and running backs today, so I don't want to blow our load completely for the audience, but I think that's a good start for us here. And I think we've gotten some traction uh, for interest wise, especially wide receivers and running backs are the bread and butter, the meat and potatoes of fantasy football. So, I wanted to talk about those two positions and maybe get a couple sleepers in there. Uh, I will touch on your Jimmy Graham conversation uh, next week because I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, <laughs> um, but that does do it for this episode of, uh, of Football Life Presents the Audible. Uh, and like I said, if you guys are interested in doing a fantasy football lead in football life, Matt and I will certainly, you know, run it and we'll see how many teams we can get. Uh, I know if Henry is involved at all, it'll probably have to do with money, but maybe we'll just do it for fun considering we don't know how long of a season we'll actually have here. So uh, I'll post a little feeler out there, maybe post a, you know, a thread for your fantasy football questions that we could talk about on air. And maybe even during the season, we might have uh, fantasy specials uh, live in this group uh, as we move on towards the season. So stay tuned for all of that. And also stay tuned tomorrow uh, over in ball is life because our, our buddies, Jacob and Leon, who have been contributing throughout the show in the comments section, they're going to have another episode of the step back, breaking down all things, NBA playoffs. My Lakers getting the dub tonight, wrapping things up for Bean after Kobe's birthday and after Kobe Bryant's day. They're going to take care of business and take care of the Blazers. 
Um, they had two they had two episodes last week, Matt. I don't know if you saw it, where they broke broke down the NBA playoffs. You know what's going on in the WNBA, and they talked about the draft lottery, which your Chicago Bulls, you know, got a top three pick. You know, what, what are you thinking about that? Top four. Top four. Top four. I mean, I, I'm pleasantly surprised. There's a this year's draft's not as top heavy as it was last year. I feel, but I feel like there's more good players in this draft, but. I defer to Leon and Jacob and I, you know, usually I'm not huge on basketball podcasts just because these guys speak a different language than I do, but Leon and Jacob do a really good job of breaking it down and helping me understand like, okay, this is a guy I need to pay attention to. This is a guy that I should look at. So I really look forward to them breaking down more draft for my Chicago Bulls. And I know Jacob's a tortured Knicks fan. So it's always mm. kind of nice to hear Jacob in angst when the Knicks got the eighth pick that, that, that was, you know, a silent pleasure of mine. The, I just, I, I, I can't even laugh at them at this point. I just have all sympathy for the Knicks fans because it's a yearly tradition to watch them get all excited for the, the, the lottery, just for it to, to not work out in their favor. Um, the Rangers got all the draft luck for Dolan and Madison Square Garden because they obviously won the NHL draft lottery. So unfortunately for Knicks, Unfortunately for the Knicks, uh, you know, you better go root for the hockey team that plays in the same building. Uh, all right. So, like I said, Matt, this is going to do it for this episode of Football Life Presents the Audible. Catch your step back tomorrow. Also catch the lap tomorrow with Johnny and Matt Whalen. They're going to be cooking up something good. I'm sure they always do. Uh, Matt, do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, as usual, we had Jake Schwartz booked for tonight's episode, but we just simply ran out of time. <laughs> this is a longer shtick than any uh, wrestling feud that ever existed. <laughs> Shout out to Jake Schwartz over in Wrestling Life. He's the host of Pod Jobbers. Go check those guys out on Thursdays. Uh, and be sure to check us out on our audio platforms as well. If you can't catch us on Facebook Live or on YouTube, be sure to check out Anchor. Be sure to check out Spotify and Apple. Uh, we appreciate your support on any platform that you are willing to give it to us. So uh, on behalf of Matt Bushnell and Football Life, I am Randy Hammond saying so long.